are this morning. So why don't you put your hands together and I'll be welcoming to Matt. Thank you. Church mama. Yeah. Hey, um, Ben, I've got a prophetic word for you, but um, just to give it a bit of context, I don't know if you guys know, Ben and Martina are like superhuman people. They did the Queenstown Marathon, Half Marathon. Was it last weekend? They both came third in their respective age groups. It's a really long way. It's really good. I don't know. Is there much competitiveness in your household? Not at all? For the record, Martina ran twice as far as Ben. So, just saying. Just saying. I don't know what that said. But um, the prophetic word I've got for you, Ben, is I don't know if you feel a sense of frustration with progress that you're making, whether that's in your spiritual work or vocationally. Um, but what the Holy Spirit spoke to me about in the prayer meeting was how just progress takes time. And how in movies, uh, training always has one of those training montages. You know those training montages where it's like, pew, 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 she did this, she did that, and wow, new me. And it all happens like two minutes with a great soundtrack. You know that that's not real life when it comes to training physically. And it's not real life when it comes to training spiritually or often even to making progress. And so even if you might have a sense of frustration about how things are not progressing as fast as you would hope for, as you might expect from, God just wants to encourage you that to be realistic in part, but I just want to say the things that are of value take time. And he's content with the pace that he's moving you at, moving you at. So be encouraged with that. <clears throat> when I was about 10 or 11, I remember going with my mum to visit my nana in hospital. And we were driving along, chatting, you know, as you do. And my mum parked the car and we looked around. And we were not at the hospital. We were at ballet where she took me to class several times a week. And you know how, as a parent or as an adult, you think, I'm never going to do those things that my mother did. I'm never going to do those silly things. Well, quite recently, I did the same thing. I, didn't, I think I was going to ballet class for one of my kids, and I pulled up and I'm like, park the car. We're at the supermarket. <laughs> this is not where I had it. I go here a lot, but this is not where I intended to be. Is it, am I the only one who's done that? I know I'm not the only one. The reason we do it is because we have like maps in our head of the ways to go places and where we're going. We just get on the map and we go and we don't really think about where it is that we're going. We've got a mental map of, of things. So you end up at the supermarket when you're supposed to go somewhere else and it all happens quite unconsciously. And these mental maps are things that happen in, in a broader sense metaphorically. We have mental maps for how we think about the big ideas, if you want a, a fancy word, it's called a schema. You can pull it out to impress your friends uh, next time. But we have mental maps for thinking about uh, community, for thinking about success, for thinking about family, for parenting. We have these, these plans and they're there, but often we're not aware of what they are. But you, you'll know that if you're at a place, you need the right map for a certain place, Yeah? So Dave and I, earlier this year, we went to went overseas. We spent some time in London, spent some time in Paris. And obviously, we have, like, phones now that actually help you get places. But imagine back when we had, like, paper maps. You remember those ones that your, like, mother would spread out in the front seat while your dad was driving and try to give him directions? Oh, those are traumatic experiences. There would be no good for us trying to get around Paris with a map for London. No good trying to get around London with a map for Paris. It just would not work. You need to have the true map for the place that you're in. And the same goes for those mental maps. We need to have the, a true map for the world that we're walking around in if we want to live in a, in a smart, in a true way. But often we don't. In a lot of ways, we're walking around our world with the wrong mental map for something that doesn't line up with the way things truly are for the way that God truly made things to be. And I was thinking about it. I think in the, the world's map, there is uh, my way highway. On the world's map, it says my way highway. It takes you to the flash suburbs where everyone's got like those super neat gardens and no one has like broken down cars parked out front. But actually, my way highway takes you to like the sewage treatment plant in real life. But the world is, 
is giving you these maps unconsciously. We often think that, um, oh, I can change those things. But no, that's received wisdom. The wisdom that you were, you were grown up in, your family of origin, all of that kind of stuff. You're, you're carrying this around. In this series, we're re-examining some of our mental maps about what really connects people together. What really, what does it mean to be together, together? Because something has gone wrong. We are the most connected society that has ever been. They shared a stat last week that um, there's increasing levels of loneliness being reported. And the, the demographic, the age group that reports the highest level of loneliness are young people, like 18 to 30. They are the most connected they have ever been. You can get hold of your friend, the touch of a button. They're seeing what's happening in their friend's world, but they report being incredibly lonely. They report being lonelier than an elderly person living by themselves. There's some, oh, what? There's something has gone wrong here. There's a higher level of anxiety around relationships. We're doing lots of surf, surface interaction, kind of sham relationships, and we have this, this sense that I want to be connected, but I almost don't even know how anymore. And that's because we're walking around life with the wrong mental map about how to do togetherness. How do we even do this? I don't know about you, but maybe you think to yourself, I want to be connected to others, but it kind of looks like hard work. I want to be connected, but I feel like I'm not good enough. I feel like I won't be able to meet other people's expectations. Maybe I'll let them down. Or maybe I won't be able to give them what they want from me. Or maybe they'll take too much from me. Or maybe they might see who I really am and then they won't, want to, they won't like me. We've got these really deep fears, this deep sense of disconnection about how does, how does it even work? We've forgotten how to truly connect with people. And part of that is just the modern world that we're living in, you know, secularism and all of that. Part of that just happened when Adam and Eve bit the apple, sin entered the world, and connections got broken. And today, we're going to zo- look in that God's map of togetherness. We're going to zoom in on a, on a particular suburb, if you will, of strength and weakness. And I really want to challenge you this morning to let the wisdom, let, let your mental map, your way you think about the world, be informed, first of all, by the Bible, not by what the world says. I want to recognize that there is a pull there. There is, you know, what your parents taught you is not necessarily correct. What your culture taught you is not necessarily correct. And it's not just that it's, oh, it's different and different is okay. It's wrong. Your parents handed you a map of Paris and you're walking around London and you're wondering why it's not working. Yeah? Culture is like, here's a map to Istanbul. You're walking around London. Why is it not working? Why am I lost? Why did I end up here? Because you've got the wrong map. So I'm going to focus in on a few things this morning to think about it because we need to change the way we think to change who we are. Romans 12, 2 says, let God transform you into a new person by changing the way that you think. And this is what we're going to push into today because the world's map, the world's map of togetherness says that uh, strength street leads you to flash parts of town where the, where the house prices are high. But actually, at weakness way leads you there. And strength street takes you to the rubbish dump. Yeah. It's not good. So my first point is, the world will tell you that it's, it's strength is the only thing that's valuable, and weakness is worthless. That's what the world's going to tell you. Weakness is worthless. But you don't have to follow Jesus for very long before you realize that it's not your strength you need, it's his strength. Yeah, it doesn't take up too long walking in his steps behind him to go, I can't really do this by myself. It doesn't take long. The Apostle Paul, he really got it. So this is Paul, he's like, he's second to Jesus, kind of in the Bible. Like, it's not a hierarchy, but he is. We know it. He was afflicted with some kind of issue. The Bible's not clear about what it was, whether it was a sickness, whether it was a struggle, whether it was a disability. We don't, we don't know what it was. But he prayed a lot to get it done. And this is the man who's, he does miracles. He prays, stuff happens. He prayed about this, and God said no. He asked again, God said no. He asked again, God said no. And then God went on to say, 2 Corinthians 12, 9 to 10, he answered me. So this is God speaking to Paul. My grace is always more than enough for you. And my power finds, it, finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weaknesses, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. So I'm not defeated by my weakness, but delighted. For when I feel my weakness and endure mistreatment, 
when I'm surrounded with troubles on every side and face persecution because of my love for Christ, I am made yet stronger. For my weakness becomes a portal to God's power. A portal is like a gate that you step through in like science fiction fantasy worlds. (laughs) My weakness is a portal to God's power. I want the full expression of God's power in my life. I've got to get to that through weakness. And sometimes I think we say to God, oh, no, no, I can do it. And God said to us, okay, you do it. I'll just stand here and wait. And I'll catch you when you fall and it crumbles. It's when I couldn't do it that God really came through. Yeah? Has anyone experienced this? Yeah? It's true. It's true for us in our relationship with God. It's so true. It's one of those deep truths you've, you've really just got to wrestle with to really get it into your heart. But there's more to it than this because we often think that, oh, yes, yes, that's true for us, but it's not true for God. That, that God actually is all about strength and it's only the brokenness of our humanity that's weak. But there's actually a real tension here where God can hold strength and weakness together in himself. In 2 Corinthians 13, 4, talking about Jesus, it says he was crucified in weakness and he now lives by the power of God. Christ was crucified in weakness. This is the Jesus who like holds everything together by the power of his word. He was crucified in, in weakness. And that word weakness in the Greek is asthenia. And in other places, it refers to a disease, refers to disability, refers to natural limitations. Christ took those on voluntarily on the cross, the physical suffering, the social suffering. And here's the kicker. When he was raised, what did he have in his hands and his feet? In his side, he's still got those marks of the wounds. He's carried those. And then that body, that resurrected body, ascends to heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father. Jesus is still sitting at the right hand of the Father with the marks of weakness on his body. That's crazy. Give me another year and I'll give you a PhD on it. (laughs) And a few other things. But Jesus, he's still carrying that. He was resurrected by the power of God, but he was crucified in weakness. And there's a sense that he still carries the mark of that weakness in his body. It doesn't work. It's like it does not compute for us and our our Western individualistic succeed, let's do things mindset. That mental map, it just doesn't compute. But Christ knows what it is to be weak. Jesus knows what it is to be weak. He's identified with all of that. He's experienced all all of that. And that's why it talks in Hebrews 4 and 5 about how he can sympathize with us and our weaknesses. He's not surprised by your weaknesses. He knows what it is. He knows what it is to be weak. I had a a few moments this week when my kids have been annoying me, mostly because when I'm hungry. And I'm like, oh, it's extra annoying when I'm hungry. (sighs) You know, know, that annoyance levels goes up when you're hungry. I know I'm not the only one. I know I'm not. And I've been like, Jesus, I know that you know what it was to suffer, but you never had small children. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, there was the disciples. And I think they were pretty annoying. But then I think also there's some idea that maybe Joseph, you know, Jesus' stepdad, died, because he was not around later. Someone like, maybe Joseph died quite early. And so Jesus, like the first kid in the house, I kind of had to be the dad. So he had little like brothers and sisters who were annoying him too. Ah, maybe he does know what it's like. He knows what it's like. He sympathizes with us in our weaknesses. He doesn't reject us in them. Strength, yes, it's of value, but weakness is not worth it. But there's another, uh, a sub-lie, if you will, that comes off of this. That would, the world will say that it's strong people who are of value and weak people are worthless. That's what the world is, what teaches us. It's the people who've got something to offer. The people who are um, rich, who have got status socially, the people who are physically strong. All of, you know, those are the people who are of value. And you've got a weakness? Nah. You're not, you're worthless. That is so unbiblical. So unbiblical. Look at the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it talks about giving preferential treatment for the weak talks about if someone's a widow, if someone's an orphan, someone's an outsider, people are being oppressed, you speak up for them. 
you give more than they deserve to the person who is weak. Jesus, Jesus spent most of his time with the people who were the weak, whether they were weak in terms of social status, whether they were physically disabled, whether they were rejected, in whatever way. Those were the people he chose to spend time with and he gave to. Jesus put the weak people first. And um, in the New Testament, we see once again this coming out. The weak people, they're not worthless. They're kind of somehow a little bit closer to God, a little bit closer, a little bit more special in the body. And this, again, is one of those doesn't compute with the Western mindset. I want to read to you 1 Corinthians 12. So Paul is writing to the church in Corinth. And the church in Corinth is probably not that different to us in that they had issues and they had a lot of like, how do we do community together issues. There's like lots of weird stuff going on. But they also were really obsessed with status uh, and who am I in society. Uh, sounds an awful lot like the modern Western world. But in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul writes to them and he gives them this analogy of how church is like the body of Christ. If you've been in church for a while, you'll be familiar with this idea that, you know, my physical body says, you know, some people are feet, some people are hands, some people are eyes. And it's ridiculous for an eye to go, oh, I'm not a hand, so I don't belong. Like, duh. Well, you sh- we shouldn't do that in the, in the church. You shouldn't say, oh, well, because I can't sing, I don't belong. Or because I'm not whatever, I don't belong. But he goes on a bit more in verses um, 22 to 27. In this bit, we kind of often skim over it says, in fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honourable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honourable parts do not require this special care. I think, not quite sure what he's talking about there. Maybe your genitals, maybe your internal organs, like the metaphor's getting a little bit hazy. As all metaphors are, like you can't push them too far. But he says, um, so God has put the body together such that extra honour and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members, that's the parts of the body, care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. And if one part is honoured, all the parts are glad. And all of you together, all of you together, are Christ's body and each of you is a part. So the parts we regard as less honourable, I want you to think now, just bring to mind, people, whether it's particular people or stereotypes of people, that you think of as less honourable or that you know the world says is less honourable. Go, go to the depths of the, the discrimination, whether it's your own discrimination or just the cultures. People you think of as less honourable. Maybe you're thinking about things of um, social status, class, education, income, disability, what size they are their capacity to do things. Those people that we think of as less, or we regard as less honourable, God says that we should give them extra honour and care. They should be given whatever extra they need. Honour, care, help, money, preferential treatment, resources, whatever it is. The Bible says that person needs that. An extra honour, not just, oh, here's the things we can give you to make up your lack, but honour. To honour the person that the world regards as less honourable. Again, it just doesn't compute, does it? It just doesn't compute with how the world works. And it kind of offends us a little bit. You know, like, oh, no, you've got to deserve your honour. You've got to show me something, and then I will honour you. Show me what you can offer me. Show me what you've got, and then I will give you honour. That is not what the Bible teaches at all. And it says the people who are weak, they are just worthy of special honour. I just kind of, oh, you got to sit with that, get your head around it. But it's everyone is accepted. Everyone is accepted in the body of Christ, and everyone should be accepted in the local expression of that body, which is the church here. Regardless of what you bring, regardless of your status in the world, whatever you have to offer, everyone is accepted. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. If you come into church and you play the drums, or maybe you played bass, we, might, we may be going to like be extra nice to you so that you stay and start playing the drums and the bass if you play the drums or the bass. Come speak to us afterwards. But everyone belongs. We all know who gives the best, best hugs in this house. Yeah? We know who gives the best hugs in this house. I've had times during my week, I thought, 
really would like a hug from Megan right now. And it's a true thing. Everyone is accepted and everyone has something to contribute. The world lives in a top-down. It's only the people who have the status, who have the best education, the best qualifications, they can make a contribution. They can shape things in a community. They can speak and things are done. That is not how it works. That is a wrong map. The Bible teaches that every part has a part to play. And maybe the part that someone has to play is different to the part that someone else has to play, but that's how bodies work. Be ridiculous if we were all eyes. You'd get nothing done. <laughs> it wouldn't work. It'd all fall over. It's all got to fit together. Everyone belongs. Everyone has a part to play. And I love the fact that the way we do church here is not one of the, is not the old school model of a full-time minister who does all the stuff. It's a, a, a grassroots, everyone has a part to play, everyone contributes model, because it's so much more biblical. It's so much more true to the map of how community and togetherness works. But Jesus spoke into a world where it was a meritocracy, which means you get, you get what you get because you deserve it. He spoke and said, no, everyone belongs, even the weakest. They belong even more. And we, too, need to speak into that world. We need to live opposite to the spirit of the world and living that out and living it out here and now in this community of people but living it out Monday to Saturday in your world it's countercultural then and it's countercultural now now if you've got young children especially if you have young female children you'll be excited for I think it's November 28th you want to know what's happening on November 28th? There's a movie coming out. Frozen 2. I feel you. I was slow to get on board with Frozen 1, but then I watched it and I was like, this is great. That's really good. I mean, like, the songs are a little too catchy, but there's some great truths in there. And this is a bit that Elsa sings. Can I just encourage you? Just don't sing it in your head. Just listen to the words, because otherwise, earworm. She says, don't let them in, don't let them see, be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal, don't feel, don't let them know. Or another one, don't, don't conceal, don't feel, put on a show. Well, how'd that go for you, Elsa? Not that well. Arendelle is cast into deep, deep snow. <laughs> He's not, has anyone not seen Frozen? And like, what the heck? How have you not, how have you got this stuff? She knew you'd love it. It's really beautiful. It's really beautiful, it is. I love the way that it's not a man who comes and rescues the princess who's weak and trapped. It's sister love who comes and rescues. Oh, it's beautiful. I'm really, I'm genuinely excited for Frozen 2. <laughs> love it so much. I'll take my children. Yeah, you've got to take your children. You can go as an adult, it's fine. No one's going to judge you. Just maybe find a child to take, maybe. But the world would say to us that your, your strengths, put your strengths on show, hide your weaknesses away. Got something to be ashamed of? Oh, conceal it. Don't let them know. Show your strength, even if it's fake. Weaknesses have got to be hidden away. And this, this idea, this fundamental um, concept on that mental map we have of how community works overflows into so many different behaviours. There's this thing we do so much in relationships where we think, if I push that person down, then I'm going to go up. Yeah? If I push that person down, if I make them feel small, if I make them appear small, if I do all the things that, whatever it is, I'll go up somehow. It's a one up, one down kind of concept of how it works. I don't know, physically, that might be a thing that guys do, girls don't do it. I'm not like comparing the size of my biceps to other men, I mean, other women. <laughs> don't think about maybe some men. Um, but socially, we do it a lot. We push other people down to make ourselves go up. And not really obviously, because if you're too obvious about it, it makes you look bad. But we do it in uh, habits of inclusion and exclusion. Who's in, who's out? Yeah? I've got a daughter in year seven, and like, whoa, who's in and who's out is important. And it doesn't change that much. We just get less obvious about it as we go, grow older. We are talking in Egret recently about how we do this thing with gossip. It's like if you've got an idea, it's um, like it's kind of secret knowledge and I can share that with you and that gives me status and I can push this person down and make myself go up and it's 
oh man, it's messed up. It is messed up how we think we can push other people down to make ourselves go up. But it is this idea that I've got to make myself look stronger to be, I don't know, more liked or whatever it is. Think about social media, what you put on display of yourself. You know, you only choose certain things that you're going to post. What are the things that I'm choosing and how do, how do they make me look? You know, I think for myself, I'll share some things that are kind of like face palm moments, like, oh my goodness, whatever. But the really things that I'm really ashamed of, I'm not going to put those on display. Like, partly that wouldn't be wise. But we're all curating that content that we put out there. And it's not just, it's not just a thing that we do in Instagram or Facebook or whatever it is. It is a thing about how we think about the world. The rise of social media has changed the way that we think and how we, how we do relationship. We're thinking about what we put to each other. Contrast this with the biblical practice of confession, where you confess your weaknesses and your sins to other people and get them to pray for you so that you're going to be healed and restored. So what it says is that James 5.16, confess to one another. Confess. Don't just put the strengths on show. Let other people see the weaknesses as well. And that's where e-group is like the best. It's the best thing ever for that. Because it's a safe place where you can be open about your weaknesses and your struggles. And people will walk with you through that. I love my e-group for the fact that I can be real. And even as the pastor's wife, I can share things that don't show me in a good light. And I know that I'm safe there. I know that I'm loved there, that I'm accepted. And those are people who are not just going to go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's fine. They're going to help me walk through it. They're not just going to go, oh, yeah, okay, well, I'll pray for you and not pray for me. They're going to see how I'm doing with it. They're going to walk with me through it. You've just, you've got to get in an e group. You've got to have those connections with people that make it safe for you to show your weaknesses. Because it's not that safe in the world out there. It's like, throwing your babies to the lions, showing your weaknesses in the world out there. People are going to pull you down. But there's got to be a safe place. The church has got to be a safe place to let your weaknesses be on display. And the third thing, so we talked about how uh, the world will tell you that strength is the only thing that's valuable. Weakness is worthless. The world is going to tell you that strength should be on show, but weaknesses got to be hidden away. But the third thing, and this is, we're just going to go a little bit deeper here, the world will tell you, we will teach you, that people will like, respect, love me if I'm strong, capable, whatever, beautiful. But my weaknesses, oh, they'll be cause me to be rejected. They'll cause me to be isolated. And often this is, this is true. This is how we have been treated. This is how you're being treated. This is how you're going to be treated going on, that your strengths will bring you praise and your weaknesses will cause people to reject you. It's how it is, because that's the world we live in. That's living according to this map, but it's not how things really are. It's not how you really are. The way that people respond to you, the way that people behave you towards you, whether they accept you in your weaknesses or reject you in it, doesn't change anything of the value of who you really are. It's, the, it's again, it's the maps. It's the ways of thinking that are so different. And in a church, we need to live counterculturally. We need to be so different to the world. I think one of the biggest problems with the church in the West is it's not that different to the world. It's like, you know, we've got different language we're going to use. It's just like really like happy people, kind of positive thinking. Like we've got to be completely different. And it's not just completely different about the things that we go, we don't agree with those things that you're doing. Not like that kind of different, but different about how we love. That has got to be the thing that is different. What is the experience of a person who comes into this community from the world? Are they finding that this is a safe place where they can let people see their weaknesses? Are we behaving towards people in that kind of way where people don't have to have it all together to be a part, to feel like they belong? 
Because Paul, he, like, he bangs a drum here on this one throughout the letters. He talks about bearing with one another. Bearing with one another. Ephesians 4.2. I'll read you a couple. It says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make allowance for each other's faults or weaknesses because we love them. Make every effort to keep yourselves united in the Spirit, binding yourselves together with peace. In Colossians 3, he writes, Since God chose you to be the holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves with tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Make allowance, again, for each other's faults. Forgive anyone who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Above all, clothe yourselves with love, which binds us all together in perfect harmony. This idea of clothing yourself, it's like a proactive thing. I didn't wake up dressed. I had to proactively put clothes on. I'm grateful that you all proactively put clothes on this morning. But did you put love on before you came to church this morning? Did you put on the determination to be patient? Did you put on tender-hearted mercy? I'm going to make allowance for other people's weaknesses when you came to church this morning. And actually, their clothes we don't just wear on a Sunday. They're not just Sunday clothes. They're like foundation garments, if we're going to go for an old school term, which I think is underwear. That's code for underwear, isn't it? Foundation garments. I, was, I remember being bemused by that. I think my, my nana used that term. I was like, I don't know what she's talking about. Aha, <laughs> aha. Uh-huh. Foundation garments. It should be. It should be. Love should be your foundation garment. There's, a, there's something in there. But that is how we need to be as a church community. And that's the church community I want to be a part of. I love um, this phrase. I heard Craig Rochelle say it in the e-group series we were doing. He says, we might impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. We might impress people with our strengths, but we connect with people through our weaknesses. Your take home today is it's our weaknesses that connect us. Our weaknesses connect us. I don't want to just impress people. Okay, I'd like to impress maybe a few people a little bit some of the time. But I don't want to, like, if it's a choice between impressing people or being connected with people, I want to be connected with people. Yeah? But the world is so busy, and it teaches us to be so busy with impressing other people, that connection we have completely forgotten about. We've lost it, and it's causing a deep ache a deep brokenness in our society that would cause people who are, what is it, 18 to 30, in the prime of their lives, where it's never been easier to hang out with your friends than when you were 19. So easy. You could just ring up a friend and go, hey, do you want to hang out? And you could go. You didn't have to get a babysitter. You could just do whatever you wanted. Those people are saying they're incredibly lonely. It's messed up. And it's not just kids who are stuck on their phones. It's all of us because we're all walking around London with a map for Paris, thinking about how it works. You need me, and I need you. You know, when I started pastoring, I think I, think I kind of thought that it was about me giving to a group of people, about what, could, what God could use through me to give to a group of people. And it's still, it's still a little bit about that. But I have learned through experience it's about what a group of people can give to me and can give to my family just as much. Yeah? I needed a little bit of humbling. I'll be honest. I need it, and I've experienced it. I had a beautiful um, couple of experiences a few months ago where just in our family, one of our kids had a need, and for one of them, like Dave and I were on the other side of the world, and Britt just stepped in with a connection with Ruby and was there for her for what she needed. Britt had what she needed. I didn't actually have much to offer for the situation Ruby was in. But Britt had what she needed, and she was there, and she made time, and she was available, and it was a blessing to her. And then I had another experience, and I was like, I don't know how to handle this parenting thing. Because, like, parenting is honestly the hardest thing I've ever done. So, like, pastoring's hard, but parenting, oh, my goodness. And they never go away. (laughs) They're always there. You wake up, and they're there, and it's still hard. And it's, like, joyful, joyful, but it's the hardest thing I've ever done. And I find myself coming up inadequate time and time again. But time and time again, I have seen this church community say, oh, I've got what you need for that. Oh, I can help you with some advice for that. Or I can, I can talk, I can connect with her. Oh, I've got some insight that you need. And it's been just what I needed. In my weakness, I found strength together. I'm so grateful for it. 
Recently, Dave um, shared from the passage in Ezekiel 37. Ezekiel is one of those Old Testament books that are a little bit crazy. It's a little bit crazy. Uh, Prophetic words. And in it, there's one where Ezekiel has a picture of a valley of dry bones. There's all these bones. Like There's been some kind of battle, and it's been a long time because it's all... Don't think about it too much. The bones are all dry, scattered around. And um, God says, you know, prophesy to the dry bones. Come alive, come alive. And so I'll read to you uh, 7 to 8. The dry bones are scattered. So Ezekiel says, I spoke this message just as he, God, had told me. And suddenly as I spoke, there was a rattling noise all across the valley. Sounds like a Halloween movie. The bones of each body came together and attached themselves as complete skeletons. And then as I watched, muscle and flesh formed over the bones. Honestly, this is gross. This is gross, Ezekiel. And then the skin formed to cover their bodies, but they still had no breath in them. And it goes on, and the Spirit of God breathes, and they come to life, a vast army. And as Dave was sharing this, what stuck out to me is that it was a pile of bones. Well, there were bones scattered all over the place. They came together. They didn't just come together and, here's a tight pile of bones. They were all scattered and now we're just like a pile here. Okay, that's not very useful. What does it say? They attached themselves as complete skeletons. The bones didn't just get collected together in one place. They became connected together. It's a little goofy, but they weren't just collected, they were connected. And it's when that happened, one bone attached to another. Was it the knee bones collected to the thigh bone? All of that. Hear the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord was to them. But often we can be just collected together. We gather together on a Sunday. And we're a collection of people. That's not what we're called to be. We're called to be a a group of people who are connected together, attached to one another. Attached to one another. It's about relationships between individuals, not just, hey, we all happen to be at Craighead Auditorium between the hours of 10 and 11.30 on a Sunday morning, and maybe an e-group, and maybe we have coffee. It's about actual connections. And there's significance in the fact that they're bones. And the bones in the Old Testament are usually a metaphor for the inner being, unless it's like literal bones, a metaphor for the inner being. So the kind of thing that, was it Psalm 35.10 the psalmist says in, in the old school translation, says, oh, my bones will say, who is like you, God? I don't know about you, but my bones cannot talk. Okay? The bones are a metaphor for the inner being. My inner being will say, who is like you, God? There's lots of things like that in the Old Testament. Apparently, if you go, you know, the older school versions, God desires truth in your kidneys. In your kidneys. Some truth in my kidneys. God, what does that mean? It's truth in my inmost parts, in the deep places. Very visceral metaphors that the Hebrew language loves. But it's the inner being is what the bones are. We're called to be attached one to another at the level of our inner beings. Not just surface connection. Not just, okay, we're friends on Facebook and you post something and I'll like it. Or maybe I'll write a nice comment, looking good. That's not connection. That's not real connection. It's surface connection. That's fine. You can still like my photos and comment, looking good. (laughs) Welcome to do that. It's more than that. It's not just observing someone's curated presentation to the world. It's about real connection. And again, we need to be countercultural. It's so much about, oh, I'm just going to like scroll through some things. Oh, yeah, I've liked that photo. Comment something. Send someone a quick message. Are we connected? How about giving someone a phone call? How about inviting a family over for dinner? How about using your phone to make a call? I'm just putting it out there. A phone. I'm going to dial it. Do you believe they do that? And you can talk to a person. Like you say something and they say something back to you and you kind of respond in real time. I know. Who does that even more? Crazy. It's not as good as being like, face-to-face, but it's pretty good. I want to encourage you this week, make some phone calls to people. And if someone makes a phone call to you, answer. I'm not the only one that's like, oh. Phone, I have a bit of a phone phobia, but I'll try and answer. It's a deeper connection is what we're called to. And once again, it is profoundly countercultural. 
Everybody else is walking around with a map of Paris, saying this is the way to go, this is the way to the good place, this is the way to get good things in life, we've got to go this way. And we, we've got the Bible, we've got a map of London, because we're in London, and we're like, no, 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 that's not the way to go. And people will tell you you're wrong, people will make you feel stupid, but tricks on them, because they've got the wrong map. So I want to encourage you this morning. I don't want to be a part of just a collection of people who admire each other. That's not what we're called to. We're called to something so much better. A group of people who are connected together. And what is it that connects us? And what is it that connects us? Our weaknesses. Our weaknesses. Oh, I don't like that. I honestly, I'm being honest, I don't like that. Because it pushes something, it offends my flesh. I've got some points to consider. How am I, ask yourself, how am I playing the world's power games of strength and status? Ask the Holy Spirit this week. Put your finger on me. Give me a poke when I'm buying into those games. How do I show favoritism to the strong? How do I let other people see my weaknesses? What, what real relationships? I ask, have I got real relationships where I can confess my weaknesses, my faults, and my sins to people? Have I got those relationships? And if not, how can I cultivate them? And here's a good question. How do I respond to another person's weakness? You need to practice your not surprised face. Hmm. <laughs> practice in the mirror. Those are some things I want to think you about, and I just encourage you, ask the Holy Spirit to give you a nudge, give you a poke, maybe a kick up the bum, if that's what you need. Because some of these behaviors are so entrenched, because we've been living with the wrong map for so long. But I want to go a bit deeper than that. This morning, I asked um, Charlotte if you can come up on keys. Be great. Because it's the heart. The heart is the level at which change really happens. In some of these lies, like I said, that Particularly that one, um, people will like, respect, love, include me because I'm strong, but my weaknesses will cause me to be rejected, isolated, whatever. When I identified that one, the Holy Spirit whispered to me, oh, there's going to be some daddy issues here. There's going to be some family of origin issues with this one. I've been reading a book recently that um, called me out on the fact that I get a bit judgy towards women who are high maintenance or a bit soft or I don't know exactly what it is, but there's a thing I get a bit judgy about because I have a problem with that myself. I think I can't be soft. I can't be high maintenance. And I was like, oh, that's not very nice. But I've been taught that. That's the reality, you know, like you may have had great parents you may, have had fan, you may be fantastic parents and your kids are sitting here and you're like, what have I done? You may have had the greatest parents, but we're all living in a world that's walking around with the wrong man. We're all living in a world that we all, you know, ate the apple, we're all in the sin together and we've been taught wrong things. But the Holy Spirit wants to transform us and I want us to take some time now to let the Holy Spirit speak to some things in your heart. How about you all stand with me? Maybe you have been told, perhaps even told explicitly that it is your strengths that make you valuable and your weaknesses, oh, you better hide them away. Don't let anyone see that. Maybe you've been told explicitly, maybe by your parents, significant people. It's, it's, it's often it's that early stuff. Maybe that has been your experience. Maybe that was your experience last week and how your boss treated you or how your spouse treated you. The Holy Spirit wants to whisper something different to the deep place of your heart. Maybe even you are generally kind of a strong person. You're pretty capable at stuff. And you've been praised for that so much. It's become part of your identity. And you think, I, I couldn't be any different. Who would I even be? And I would let people down. And they wouldn't like that. And oh, The Holy Spirit wants to whisper something different to your heart. Or maybe you've identified for yourself that there's a fear of letting people see your weaknesses that is really holding you back from community. 
the Holy Spirit, again, He wants to whisper something different to your heart that is going to shift your world. So this morning, why don't you just close your eyes just to zone out some distractions. You can open your hands just to put yourself in a receptive posture. And if the Holy Spirit's really touching on something for you, I want you to just take a wee step and just put your hand up. Not for me so much to see it, but for God to see it. But for me to see it so I can know who I'm really praying with. If you feel like, oh, I just, I have a really hard time being weak. Got a hard time being weak? I've got a hard time being weak. I think especially for some men, strength is like your thing. It's your thing. You're good at that. You're a capable person. You can make stuff happen. You can hold it together for yourself and for your family. But sometimes you go through experiences where you can't anymore. Do you know what? That's okay. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God. God, we have, um, we live in a world and we have grown up in a world that has told us, sometimes explicitly, or we've just interpreted the message wrong, that it's our strengths that make us valuable and our weaknesses are worthless, they're shameful, they're going to cause us to be rejected. And Lord, for a lot of us, there is a little boy or a little girl inside of us who heard that message and decided to be different. And we've grown up in that, Lord, and we are, we're now living out in a way that is, is just not the way that you designed us to be. And Lord, there's an ache within each of us to be able to be real with others, to sometimes even just to be able to be real within ourselves. And Holy Spirit, I ask that in this moment, you would come and you would speak your truth to our inmost parts. You would bring nurture to the places that have lacked it. Father, you would speak the truth to us. Lord, at our at a inmost being level. And God, that it would overflow into our behaviour. God, I pray for this, this group of believers, Lord, every person who's here and every person who's not here today, God, that we would be um, a family of people who are okay with weaknesses, where every person belongs. And Lord, we stuff that up so often because we're people. But Father, I ask that you would help us to bear with one another, to make allowance for our faults, to clothe ourselves every single day with tender-hearted mercy and patience. God, that when people come into um, come into our, our the world that we overshadow, they would go, something is different here, and I want this something different. Lord, help us to take it into our workplaces, to take it into our families. Lord, revolutionize our marriages. Revolutionize our marriages. I, th- just, I just believe that pr- prophetically that there are some married couples here today, and you feel like you've had a wall, you've had a blockage. And it's to do with whether you are able to be weak with the other person. Whether you are able to say, oh, I actually need you in this. And not just I need you. This was like a breakthrough for me at one point. I don't just need Dave to like help me look after the kids and do stuff and open jars. I need him emotionally. I, I, I need him. And perhaps that you, maybe you hear and you think, oh, Matt, just, I feel like there's a wall and we're just not pushing through it. Maybe it's to do with weakness and letting yourself be weak before your partner. Father God, I ask that you would help us. Oh, shift us, God. Because we want to live according to the world as it really is. As it really is. Lord, with your truth, transform us, God, by changing the way that we think. God, that we could transform our world. If you'd like further prayer about this stuff, then I'd really encourage you. Just come down the front after the service. There'll be some people available to pray because this is this is deep stuff. This is kind of like stuff of the heart. Um, and it's sometimes you just need a little bit more. Yeah, more prayer with each other. But I really want to encourage you to, to think about 
um, what does this look like in your world? Before we go any further, though, I want to put out an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel. So that scripture I read back at the beginning talked about how Jesus was crucified in weakness, but he now lives by the power of God. It is it blows my mind still that God, like Jesus, enjoying all the wonders of glory, all powerful, chose to take the form of a baby. A weak, like the weakest and vulnerable. It doesn't get much more vulnerable than a newborn baby. They're useless. They can't do anything. Like, you, I remember when Ruby was born, she couldn't even move her two eyes together. And I was like, wow, that must have been quite a step down, Jesus. That Jesus did that for us to show that he had to be with us, to take our sins upon the cross. And he was raised again to life so that we too are raised to life, to eternal life. And that doesn't just mean living forever in heaven after we die. Eternal life starts now. It's fullness of life from now on. And that is available to each one of us. And I want to give the, the opportunity today to respond to that. Maybe you're here and you've never made a decision to follow Jesus, but you'd like to do that today. This is your time. Or maybe you're here today and you perhaps once had a relationship with God, but you'd say, I've fallen away, but I want to recommit to following Him. We're just going to have every eye closed. If you say, if I fall into either of those two categories, you'd like to make a decision to reconnect with God, then pop your hand up. Give me a wee wave, maybe, because I would love to pray with you. Who here today wants to make that decision to follow God? Okay, I'm not seeing any hands, so you can open your eyes. I really want to encourage you around this stuff because it's the kind of thing that brings breakthrough. But it is, oh, it's hard because it's so kind of cultural. The world is bombarding us constantly with the wrong map, the wrong information. You know when, um, who uses like whatever the thing on your phone that gives you directions? GBR, Siri tells me ways to go places. I tried um, coming out of Christchurch when though I don't know, and she told me to go away. It was not a way that I could go. She was working with a wrong map. And I got there and I was like, this is actually like a dead end. This is not working. And um, so I was like, okay, I'm going to go around another way. I'm stressing out. Oh, I've got a great sense of direction, I'll confess. And, and she's saying to me, turn around, turn around, stop, turn around. I'm like, shut up, sorry. She's telling you to turn around because she's working with the wrong map. She had a wrong map that said, oh, this is the way to go. And she was loud in my ear, turn around, turn around. Ah! And the world is telling you, don't go that way. Don't let people see your weaknesses. Oh, don't really open up into connection. Maybe you want to give somebody to church? Okay, you could go on a Sunday, maybe every second week. You could commit a little bit. Or you could go on the roster, maybe. But don't really let them see who you are. The devil is going to whisper that to you. The world is going to shout it at you. Turn around, turn around. That's not the way to go. But Jesus knows what is better for you than the world does. The devil hates you. He doesn't want good things for your life. So when that loud spanking, turn around, turn around, it's wrong. Let your way you think about the world be governed by what Jesus says. And he says it's our weaknesses that connect us. Yeah? Fantastic. I'll hand over to Dave.